truth, perspective, and growth. This is the Michael Carroll Discipleship Podcast. What we have now is the most biblically illiterate generation. And so what's happening is that people get up, they read the scripture, they start their personal story, and they start connecting it to the scripture. And now the audience is confused, particularly young people. And then the preacher is like, man, is my content bad? And it's not that your content's bad. It's that they don't know the context like you did when you were a kid. Well, I have an incredible guy with me. I'm excited about today. I have Pastor Tyshawn Rowland from Free Chapel out yes, in sir. Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, excited to have you, bro, for real. Uh, how you doing today, man? Man, I'm doing good. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I, I am pumped. Yeah, for, I am too, man. And, you know, I know that we're all kind of coming out of a, um, an awkward season. We had the quarantine, the pandemic youth service just had to get super creative right out of nowhere it was like okay we're doing this thing different for a while now right um for those of us uh who may not know you what can you talk to us a little bit about what you do and what what was your experience like the past few months of of kind of leading youth ministry um through the pandemic yeah absolutely well i am the youth pastor for the legend the living legend the living icon Um, Pastor Jensen Franklin, and I have the privilege of leading all of our East Coast campuses here. Um, We have eight campuses, and uh, for the most part, majority of them are on the East Coast, and I have the pleasure, my bad, of just leading them and and executing at a high level for them, as well as leading the main location personally. So for the most part, all the other campuses I check in, but for the one at the main campus, that's the one that I lead. And so I actually remember the day that uh, my last youth service, uh, we had a campus and department head meeting. And I had to go in for youth and the executive pastor, Pastor Tracy, my boss, my supervisor, I looked over at him and he just, he looked at me and said, Hey, I just want you to know that your service is probably going to be low tonight. And I was like, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. You know, we're going to have a, we're going to have a great night. <laughs> it's it's going to be, be full overflow. It's going to be full, you know, cause we had an, a big, huge invite night in January. And so we were riding that momentum in March. Like, you know, the dream that a youth pastor has is like, can I sustain what happened? Like we were doing it. Right. And the week before, I think we had about 330 something students show up. So it was like a good night. The mm-hmm. next week, the next week we had less than 200 students. Mm-hmm. I remember I remember service started. I said, where, where they go, Lord? You know what <laughs> happened? And then two days later, the president got on the news on all the news stations and declared our country in a national emergency. And um, before I knew it, it was like we're in quarantine. And so mm-hmm. immediately I just sat down and one of our media guys reached out to me. He texted me, said, hey, I'm ready to record if you're ready to go. And so I just um, we picked a time and I sat down. I wrote a lot of messages and we started doing life uh, ministry in quarantine. And so mm. from there, we just kept sharpening, kept making it better. We've come a long way. Actually, earlier today, I was looking at our messages in the beginning of quarantine and what it looked like now. And I could just tell that we were grown so much. So yeah, yeah. Um, we just we just had to figure out, man, we got to get the message out. And so we used every creative resource, every creative idea, anything we could steal from friends. We just we just applied it in our context and we've seen God use it. So it's been really cool because in this season, I'm still seeing people get saved. I'm still hearing stories of, of God intervening in young people's life. I still have young people reaching out wanting to do a, a Zoom call, which is crazy because a lot of people would say that mm. kids don't care about Zoom. But I had a teenage kid the other day text me and said he wants to do a Zoom call. So God's been blessing us a lot. I miss coming together, but it's been good in this season. Yeah, I understand that. There is a, there is a, there is a piece of, you know, you need that community, honestly. Yeah. You know, we all need that community. Uh, when you begin to 
isolate, that's when you, you know, slip into depression and you lose your sense of purpose and, you know, the vision of where God's taken us all. You know, we, the kingdom is never meant to be accomplished, you know, uh, by individuals. It's, yeah. it's community, right? So there is that piece, but, um, hat, my hat goes off to you. I have, uh, quite a few friends who are youth pastors, uh, who, you know, you guys felt the weight of it, you know, and it, senior pastors did too as well. And it, but it was a little bit different, right? Yeah. Um, you guys feel the weight because you know what your kids are you, you're, are dealing with. They're dealing yeah. with depression already, right? They're dealing with anxiety already. They're dealing with, yeah. you know, uh, you know, feeling this weight. You know, they're in the rooms alone at night. You know, what are they watching on their phones? What's going on? Like all of these things, you know, is going through your mind of, man, I, I just I just want to make sure they're okay. And so I, I, I'm grateful for you and all the youth pastors out there that are listening to this that carried that weight through the season, that were praying for their students and continue to pray for their students students and um it's not an easy thing i know it's not yeah, an easy job to have not. but uh it's a call and i know you feel called so um l- let's talk about that because i know that you're not you, you didn't just you know go to church and say you know what i'm gonna be a youth pastor because you know you yeah. think it was cool that has to come from somewhere yeah. right let's talk a little bit about that like w- what makes you passionate about what you do yeah i mean we were talking about this literally yesterday preparing for this that like mm-hmm. Um, my, my, my start of ministry kind of just started at a church in Las Vegas. My mom, um, originally was married for 10 years to my stepdad, a great man who, uh, they had a kid, my little sister. And so we were like a great tight knit family in Memphis, Tennessee. And, um, you know, like any other kid, you can feel when the home is breaking, when something's going off in the home, the, the, the balance is off. You know what I mean? And I remember sensing that balance. And I remember my mom telling me one day, she sat me and my sister down and told me, she said, we're moving to Vegas. And I was like, okay, did you win the lottery? You know, because all I knew about Vegas at this point was what the shows showed me. And they didn't show me a lot. They just showed me the strip. And so I was like, yeah, we're moving to Vegas. And she's like, well, we're, we are moving. But your, your dad, Cedric, you know, that was his name. And I've never, I remember this day, I was telling my wife about the other day, I never heard my mom call him by his first name when talking to me. And that's Mm. how I kind of knew something was over. Mm. And so from there, we moved to Vegas. And for about two to three months, every Sunday, my mom took me to so many church services, (laughs) just looking for the church. At at the time, I didn't understand what she was doing. But now looking back, I realized that for her, that was the only thing she knew. She knew that if Mm. she got me into the church, that hopefully in her heart, She's like, God will take care of it. It was like one of those things where she just kind of was like, I'm going to find the right church. She did. It was led by Benny Perez. And I remember. Great church. uh, Great church, man. Great man. And and I remember just getting involved. I I walked into that church and I felt home and I felt I felt whole. That was probably the thing that I I knew. I just loved going to the church. Now, if you walked up to me at 11 or 12, I wouldn't have said I feel whole being here. I just would have said I like being here. Right. And um, I got saved at a winter retreat. This woman named Ginger sponsored my me to go. In fact, it was her son's birthday party during this winter retreat. And he wanted me to go to his winter. He wanted me to go to his party. And when mm-hmm. he found out that winter retreat was the same time as party, he went to his mom and said, mom, can I move my party so he can go to camp? Which was like one of the biggest things that ever like marked my life that an eight year old's generosity really brought my salvation, to be honest. And I went to this church service. 
Um, Judah Smith was preaching. Judah mm-hmm. Smith back in the day. This is before the celebrities, before church home. The church was called City Church. His youth ministry was called Generation Church. And he got up and preached the word of God, man. And from the beginning, from the intro to the conclusion, I knew that I wanted to give God my life. And mm-hmm. at the end, Judah actually prophesied over a lot of kids in the room, as, as he usually does, and just told me I was going to be a ministry. And I remember that moment saying, absolutely. And from then on, I just got so committed to church. I didn't really plan on being a youth pastor, but I know I wanted to do for other people's what Judah did for me. So becoming a youth pastor was a natural journey uh, for me. And then, you know, that's really my, how I got here. I went from the church LV, learned a lot, left the church, went to go learn a lot at Elevation Church, was on staff there. And when my time came to the end, they brought me here to be the youth pastor here at Free Chapel. So that's how I started and that's how I arrived. And, and um, that's my story and I'm sticking wow. to it. So Come on, let's go. I love it, bro. That's what a journey, man. But the thing I love about that journey, I mean, you, you've been a part of some great churches and that's that's an amazing thing. And it's, I'm sure it's given you a lot of experience. But the thing that I love about your journey is that your 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 desire to minister and reach youth came from a place of you being reached as well. Yeah. And it's there's something authentic about that that gives you the heart posture of really being used by God. You know, I think uh, we all deal with this. Um, you know, was a youth pastor myself at one point, and you know now I work more with young adults. But um, the one thing I, I just constantly always remember feeling and sensing was that um, people who got. Um, you know, either saved or they got into ministry, they just wanted to look a certain way or be a certain way. And it wasn't necessarily, you see that in a lot of youth ministry where, you know, okay, I can't, now I find a place and I fit in now. So now I kind of just have to look a certain way or talk a certain way. And, and sometimes I feel like, okay, now I have to be this or I have to be that. Not every, not everyone has to be a youth pastor. Do you, do you experience that a little bit in your, in your ministry when you're working with the youth and, and as they're kind of discovering their purpose, um, that you have the ability to just kind of be like, Hey, listen, this is who I am, but you don't have to be like me. Because I feel like that's a stigma yeah. in, the ch- in the church right now is everyone has to kind of be the next Rich Wilkerson or be the Absolutely. next, you know, so-and-so. When you're like, man, we need people who are Jesus, you know, uh, in hospitals. We need people who are Jesus in, you know, uh, you know, who are teachers who are, or whatever the case is. You know, how do you approach that, you know, as you're helping the youth kind of discover their purpose like what are what are some ways that you approach youth on that yeah I mean you know for me I was blessed to know that I was called to ministry at 12 and from mm-hmm. there I had people fan the flame mm-hmm. of that of that call now there was a lot of people who were also 12 that had no idea what they wanted to do they I would say I always raise my hand say I want to be a pastor then you know this person's like I want to be an astronaut and I'm not being <laughs> negative I'm like you're not yeah. going to be an astronaut <laughs> like you know and um, but I do have a lot of people in their youth ministry that that want to either be in ministry or they want to do something. If I'm never going to be because I've had so many people be kind to me and always encourage my dreams, sure. no matter how big they were. Yeah. I try to always do that for our young people and even our young leaders. Now, what I yeah. will also say is I'll let them know that God is not going to call you to do something that's that big of a surprise to you. Like it's mm-hmm. not. Like me as a youth pastor, it fits, you know, it just it just makes sense when you when you look at my life backwards, where I'm standing mm-hmm. and where I'm sitting makes a lot of sense. So what I try to talk to a lot of young leaders about and I just say, hey, play to your strengths. What are your strengths? Are your strengths mm-hmm. communication? Yeah, I love that. That's are good. You, you know, and I think what we what we try to do is that I was telling this to someone the other day. We try to play the game instead of playing to our strengths. Come on, let's go. Now you're preaching. Let's you know go. what I mean? But like yeah. if you play the game 
you're going to start doing things that you don't even know what you're doing. Like, oh, I want to look a certain way. I want to be rich. And you forgetting that, like, you don't want to get to a place because I know what ministry costs. I didn't know before. Mm. And so now I understand why so many people were guarding actually against ministry. So what I try Mm. to do with a lot of young people and young leaders is say, hey, what is your strengths? Because I don't think you're playing to your strength. I think you're trying to play this game of purpose and you're trying mm. to be the person that saved you and rescued you and communicated yeah, to that's you. Good. That's but good. I'm not called to be Judah to other people. I'm not right, a black right. version of Judah Smith, you know? I am Tyshawn Rowland. I happen yeah. to be a preacher and he was a preacher and it happened to look alike. But, yeah. you know, there are some things that Judah did that I'm not going to say because he's doing that I have to do that. I don't have right. to know celebrities. I don't have to, you know, dress a certain way. I don't have to have a certain amount of money. But what mm-hmm. we tend to do is that we attach our purpose to the same people we look up to. And I think it creates a level of anxiety. So I always try to deconstruct um, people's goals. And I say, hey, why do you want to do that? And I just try to slow them down a little bit. But when I do feel like they're preaching, I pull them in personally because that is my gift. That's the thing I think I'm designed to help people do a little bit easier than other things. But Mm -hmm. I just try to be a a good sounding board. You know, I'll be like, hey, yeah, you could be a preacher. I mean, I don't see it, but, you know, maybe it could happen. You know, so with young leaders, I'm very honest. But with younger kids, I just, you know, I just say what I never just say. Yeah, it's a process to get there, right? Yeah, for sure. I love that, man. And I think, you know, because of my role, I do leadership. I do a leadership school. So I kind of deal with that on on a, you know, that's my job. That's my passion is to help people to develop in who really God called them to be. And so I, I see that, I think a little bit, that's kind of just my life that I live is this next generation of leadership. And the one thing that um, I loved, even in our story that we were sharing with, just was how authentic, you know, you love Jesus and how much you, you just want to talk about him. Even when I asked you, I was like, hey, Tashon, yeah. okay, what's stirring in your heart, man? And I get all sorts of answers, but I'm like, Tashon, you know, what, what's stirring in your heart? Give me a hot topic so I can make sure we kind of pull that out of you. And bro when you said Jesus, I was like, I got slapped in the face, man. I was like, that's it, bro. I mean, of course that's everyone's answer, but I could tell that was your real answer, man. Um, but this is my thought and I want to kind of ask you your perspective and dialogue about this. Um, Jesus can look different to different people. Um, and in this generation, I think that because we're an individualistic culture, Jesus can be very much a thing that is good for me, right? Like my relationship with Jesus or Jesus and me. I hear people say, yo, Jesus is just my homeboy. and He's going to ride it out to the end or whatever. Um, Do you feel like we need to do better? And particularly in maybe even our young adult or Gen Z ministries that we can do better at, at making people see that Jesus and salvation and the kingdom of God is a community thing. It's not an individual thing. It's not yeah. that your relationship with God is should not just benefit your life, but actually your relationship with God should benefit the world around you, right? People should feel the the love that comes from your life. They should feel the grace coming out of the words you speak, right? You shouldn't, you know, um, the people in your life should benefit from your salvation, not just yourself. Like, do you feel uh, that's something that we need to do better <clears throat> as uh, as a you know, the next generation? Yeah, I, I think, absolutely. I think, you know, when you listen to old school preaching, like that, that is my stuff that I listen to, um, you know, 90s Jensen, 90s Jakes, you know, old tent meetings. I love listening back to those old sermons. And I'll tell you why. 
because they don't have long, laborious stories about themselves. They are mm. not trying to advertise some weird book at the end or trying to get <laughs> you to follow their Instagram. There was no Instagram. There was yeah. no social media. You mm. you get these people, and I encourage anyone who's listening, go put in a T.D. Jakes 1997 and watch how he starts. It would. He doesn't talk about his personal life. He doesn't acknowledge his hot wife. He doesn't, he doesn't talk <laughs> about all the great things he does and why he's there. He doesn't even necessarily honor for an hour the people that brought him in. As soon as he starts, he reads the scripture, he starts talking about it. And I think what the old generation and what our fathers and the spirit are teaching us have taught us is to surrender our life to Jesus. What I think our generation is doing that's very scary is that we're teaching people to integrate their life with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so add Jesus to what you do, but don't give Jesus all you are. And Mm -hmm. so that becomes the goal. And so what happens is that now we can personalize Jesus because he's not a person anymore. He's a product. And depending on how much you like the product, depending on how much you use it. But Mm -hmm. I think we almost need to tear those things down and go back to the preachers of old and say, hey, when you got saved, you surrendered your life. You didn't You didn't say, God, here's a part of me. You said, God, mm. here is all of me. And I think a lot of people define Jesus differently because they know him as a product, not as a person. And yeah. so what my urge is to, when I preach and when I talk to people is that I try to sense, I'm like, do you really have an active relationship with Jesus? And, yeah. and you can ask these people these things and just ask them about their prayer life. And I can tell when people start talking about prayer, if they really do love Jesus, not necessarily because prayer is the grading measure of your relationship. But if you can't pray and it feels like a chore, I would argue that, do you really have a relationship with Jesus? Because if he's just integrated, yeah, you'll acknowledge him and it'll be a chore. But if he's surrendered, you look forward to talking to him. Mm. And so I think what we have to do is ask ourselves a little bit. It's like, am I surrendered? Am I mm. surrender or I'm just putting Jesus where it benefits me and I'm removing yeah. him where it's a burden for me. So when I have to change my, when I have to change my actions or what affects my integrity or if it affects how much money I can get, well, those moments, I'm not going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow my feelings. But in the moments where life is hard, now I'm going to invite him in. And at the end of the day, we have to live a life of surrender. He just didn't save us for salvation. He saved us so we could be a living sacrifice. And I think a lot of people, including me, I don't know if we talk about it enough. So I, I definitely do believe believe that we got to do better with how we talk about Jesus and ask people, what are you praying about right now? What are you reading right now? I was on Instagram and I posted on my story. I said, what is G- what is God teaching you right now? Just to, just to activate that in people that like who we were when we got saved as kids is still who we are now. We still have the same access, but life kind of makes us busy. And so that, that is my belief. I think we need to be a little bit more intentional with our description and our definition of life with Jesus. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think what you touched on is that, you know, how what the gospel of Jesus originally was meant to do. You know, when we read Acts, uh, I feel like the gospel was always meant to speak to culture, not speak with culture. And yeah. I think when we have this individualistic kind of idea of who Jesus is, the easy thing is, and this is what I think Christianity actually is easier to spread when Jesus is individualistic because you can take him and bring him into your culture and bring him into your life and continue to do what you've always done. You can continue to go with the wave of culture and where culture Mm -hmm. has taken you. And you're not necessarily the gospel that you're, that you're living by. It's not necessarily speaking to the culture that you're living. It's speaking with it. And so it's like, you know, you just kind of, you kind of just flow with it. And, but the announcement was always that no Caesar is not king, Jesus is king, and this means Absolutely. this means so much to the original church in their context. This means that 
oppression is no longer the the victor, but now we have a, a redeemer, right? And so yeah. the prison doors are open. You can walk this way, but that means you're walking against culture and you're walking against the flow of the world. Yeah. And that's where, you know, the, the scriptures of, you know, uh, losing your life for the sake of the gospel and, and laying down your life for the sake yeah. of Jesus and and bearing your cross, carrying your cross, going against the that tension of, of, of going against culture, not just flowing along with it. And you know, and one thing I've noticed is that we, this is something that I, I'm constantly talking about, uh, especially with my friends is, is how do we, how do we find this? How do we raise up this next generation to, to see a fuller picture of the gospel? Because <clears throat> it's not necessarily always their fault because they're just, they're just repeating what they've been told by other yeah. teachers, by other preachers, by other stuff like that. And they're really just living the way they've been kind of shown by their their parents like this is what Christianity is all about. And I feel like God, especially in the middle of this pandemic has been wanting to shift us away from being consumers and and being, you know, people who are just in a raft and we're just floating along and and no like he wants us to be bold and he wants us to be unauthentic. He doesn't want us to be the guys on the streets with signs saying turn or burn. I'm not saying yeah. that, but yeah. I'm saying he wants us to be true and authentic with who we are and speak to the culture and shift culture, not be shifted by it. Um, and is that a little bit kind of what you were talking about? Yeah, man. I I think what you're saying is so important. I think, you know, even how you were talking about, um, you know, they're just repeating what they were told. And I, I don't think there's anything problem with repetition or regurgitation of information. I think that if anything, as a preacher, that's how you should start before, you know, the age old things that before you can be a voice, be an echo. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with, with with repeating what was told to you to get them to where it got you. The only thing that I would urge every preacher, every person that's listening right now is to remind yourself that the audience is not the same. You know, if we look listen back to a lot of old school, like youth preachers, like the, the, the style of the sermon was like this. You open up the scripture, um, you say a prayer, you open up with a story. From that story, you have a transitionary statement. That transitionary statement is going to go into the scripture. And the goal is that your story was good enough to connect to the scripture. And Mm. so because that was the connection piece, now through the whole sermon, you're really just talking about your story in emphasis for the scripture. It's not bad. It's not horrible. It's good. Um, And then honestly, the piano comes up. And then what do we do? (laughs) We add another personal story. Why? Because that's what got us going. There was nothing wrong with that approach of preaching. And I don't I don't personally that's not my style, but I don't personally think there's anything wrong with that. The reason that that preaching was so great and why we allowed it is because we knew the context of the story. So we wanted to hear your personal story. We already knew that David and Goliath, we know that David kills Goliath. We know that David becomes king. We know that Noah built the ark. We know Joseph goes to the prison, the pit, and the palace. We know that Jesus dies on the third day, uh, dies and then rises again on the third day. These are all the things we know. So when a preacher goes into the scripture, we're almost like, yeah, we know. Just tell me your take on it. Let me hear your personal story and how it applies. Because we know the context. So now you make it cool for us. What we have now is the most biblically illiterate generation. And so what's happening is that people get up, they read the scripture, they start their personal story and they start connected it to the scripture. And now the audience is confused, particularly young people. And then the preacher is like, man, is my content bad? And it's not that your content's bad. 
is that that they don't know the context like you did when you were a kid. Mm. And so I think that what we can do better in displaying Jesus and how we can show the gospel is that we have to tell the whole story again. That's if this good. is really the most biblical illiterate generation, you can't just say things off the cuff anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't say who the God of David is, the God you know that will defeat the Goliath. They have no idea who Goliath is. Yeah. Um, I didn't believe this. I don't know if you follow Barner Group, but they said that this is the most biblical illiterate generation. Yeah. I was like, nope, I don't believe it. I'm in Jensen Franklin's church. I am going to put this theory to a test. I start walking up to young people and I said, hey, do you know who Joseph is? Like the story of Joseph going to the prison, the palace. I will never forget what a young person told me. They said, I didn't know Mary's husband was in the Old Testament. (laughs) And I was like, what? I I asked a kid who leads worship in our youth ministry. I said, do you know Noah and the story of Noah's Ark? He said, what? He had no idea. This kid's been in, he's been in church for years, bro. And so I realized that when I was getting up, just going through the scripture, rushing to get to my story, I was making it confusing for the people in the audience. Mm -hmm. And so what I think we need to do a good job doing in the future is explaining the story. It's not fun giving context. It's not fun, um, you know, telling them the significance of where Jesus is from and why he did that. But it's more fun than being confused the whole time. And I think what we need to do better is that we're really good with with cliches. We're not good with context anymore. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes if we approach the stories of Jesus and we say, man, this sounds good preaching, that you already have a problem because this generation needs to be taught to before they can be preached to. And I Mm -hmm. think the way that we do that is by teaching the Bible in a very cool way. I think our sermons need to be less about us and more about him. Not to say it's not good to add us, add us. Paul did it. You know, it's good to add yourself in the story, but just know that you're not the central figure of the story. And I think what's happened is that preachers are becoming the central figures of their content and they don't even know it. And so they're not preaching Jesus anymore. They're preaching their life and they're hoping it hits, but your, you, your life experience is not big enough for the audience. Jesus life experience it is. And that's just what we have to understand. So that's my philosophy with that. I think we gotta, we gotta teach the Bible a little bit. Yeah. I couldn't, and I'm so glad to hear that you say that, man, I couldn't agree with, with you more that we have to get back to teaching the Bible and to add to that, honestly, the, uh, a big part of that is we have a whole wave of new pre- preachers who aren't even students of the Bible. They've learned to preach sermons without really knowing the Bible. You know, they've yeah. learned the one, two, three of you know how to sell the gospel, but they don't really know the full gospel, and so it yeah. never comes out of them. Even when they're preaching and being led by the Spirit, the fullness doesn't come out because it's not in them. Right? They yeah. haven't. They've learned, and that's and this kind of tracks back to the whole individualistic gospel because. The individualistic gospel is very one, two, three, boom, this is it, you got it. You know what I mean? Where where the true full gospel, where God's family is the center of his purpose and Jesus is the king, takes uh, an entire book called the Bible to really bring that picture together. Absolutely. And, you know, so... Um, I wouldn't. I could not agree with you more, and I love to hear that you're saying that. And there's amazing stuff out there. There's resources like the Bible Project is an is mm-hmm. an amazing one where you can get on there and watch short videos, and that can kind of help to put the major points together. Uh, I'll make sure to link that up in my notes for those uh, for those of you who may want to get into that. Um, so on that topic. Um, what are some ways, because I know we have some some youth leaders or we have some parents who have some young kids who may be watching uh, or listening to the show. What are some ways that you've been able to intrigue the youth with scripture kind of on a discipleship level? Um, yeah, I've tried to make situations and stories in the Bible um, speak to where we are right now. And so every time something's happened, and, and I think what's been so cool 
in a silver lining in this season is that a lot of stuff has happened in our world, whether it's racism, whether it's injustice, whether it's, um, you know, which political party are you associated with? You yeah. know, how is your, you know, people are getting mad at pastors for having church. People are getting mad at pastors for not having church. People are getting mad at churches for having church with no mass. And it's it just, it's going too far. And then what's, what happened when we came in quarantine is that everyone's became a professional at everything. And so now we're promoting our opinions. And so I got really scared because I'm 27 years old. I've been married for almost two years. I don't know a lot, but what I do try to learn every day is the Bible. And mm. so it's like, it's doing the discipline. I think the job of the preacher is to do the discipline to say where in the world, where in the word is it speaking to the situations in our world? There it's, it's there. And so I'll just tell you like ways that I did it. So um, with all the racism stuff coming up, I could have got up and said, it's wrong. Stop it. Be better. Black lives matter. I'm black. Love you. I mean, go, go with the movement. Don't follow the organization. Apparently, you know, I could have done all that, but instead I said, let me go to the word of God. Let me go to Galatians and let me show you a story with apostle Paul seeing apostle Peter sitting with these group of people called, um, the Gentiles. And then apostle Peter sees the Jews coming up and then apostle Peter gets nervous because he wants to keep up with them. And so what he does is that he leaves the table of the Gentiles to be with the people who are Jews. And so what he does is he follows the protocol of racism. And what does Paul do? He sees it, he confronts it and he challenges it. And so I rather preach that because that's in the word of God. That's going to last longer. That's going to sit well with our spirits. Now I'm not preaching Tyshawn's opinion. I'm showing you that racism didn't start in 2020. It started in the word of God. I'm showing people recently, I preached a message is Jesus, the answer to everything. And because a lot of people will wonder, would Jesus know what it's like to be in 2020? I mean, we're looking at people die on our phone, you know, like mm. in what world is that okay? In what right. world is, wow. you know, seeing people gunned down? I mean, the picture of what we're seeing is scary. So a lot of people are like that Jesus thing is outdated because Jesus has no idea what that's like. Well, Jesus' cousin actually was beheaded. He mm. was beheaded at a decision that someone just made and they served his head on, on a tray. That shows us that Jesus knows about execution at a weird level. We just got to talk about it that way. So mm. the goal is never to say, uh, I got to preach a message against the culture. No, it's already in the Bible. Just make the Bible alive. And when young people start feeling that, um, they'll start seeing that Jesus is the answer. I was talking to a kid the other day. I grew up without a dad. And I've always wondered, you know, when I look at the Bible, do I see me? And that's the hardest thing for this generation. When they're opening up the Bible, it's not that they don't like reading it because they think it's boring. They don't see them in there. They don't know if their story is actually there. Growing up without a dad, I can't name you a lot of bad fathers because even mm. in the Bible, most men, evil, evil men, even evil men were good men. They wanted their kids to mm. take on their legacy. They wanted to further it. So I remember going through the Bible asking myself, can I find someone that was like me? Someone who had a stepdad that was gone. Someone who had a dad not there trying to navigate life on their own, try to be all that God has called them to be. It was hard until I realized that most people believe that Jesus' dad, his stepfather, Joseph, died somewhere between the age of 12 and 30. 30. So at the cross, on the hardest day of Jesus' life, his dad wasn't there. So not only did he get forsaken by his spiritual father when God said, when he said, Eli, Eli, Shabbat, and I, why did you forsaken me? He didn't have a literal stepfather there. Mm. So when I look at the life of Jesus, I can tell the young man or the young lady that doesn't have a dad that Jesus didn't either. And Jesus got through it. I just wow. think we need to do a better job diving deep. It's not fun mm. Um, mm. getting down to this revelation. but It is we, fun, though. Yeah, you know, it's fun. It's fun for me. <laughs> but man, th there's nothing better than seeing that kid, man. 
that is in such a weird situation and they feel that there's no way that God understands. And then they get to the end of the sermon. And when they come up to the altar to me, I think I did my job because I showed them that God did understand. Hmm. And I had to show you through Jesus because I can't show you through my life. My life is not meant for you to latch on to this. This is not about me. It's about Jesus. And I think we just got to do our better job diving deep in our study mm. and still showing it. And it's going to work. It's always going to work. When you, when, when you say his name, he draws all men unto him. And I just mm. believe that. So I'm with yeah. you on that, bro. And, and I want to, and I want to challenge, I want to challenge uh, the, all the youth pastors that are listening to this to, I'm obviously, I, I really feel like a lot of them are feeling inspired right now, but um, I think that the Bible is more fun and more interesting to this next generation than we may know. I've I've heard it. The one thing that I feel like is a stigma, and T- Pastor Tyshawn, you probably have heard this a lot, is, oh, this next generation just doesn't care about God, or this is a godless generation, or or this or that. They don't believe in God. And and honestly, from my perspective, they be- most of the young people I talk to are open to believing in God. They just don't believe in the system of church that they've grown up. Absolutely, under. you know what I mean. They're willing. They're willing to see something, but what they've seen was not necessarily authentic or real, or maybe God really wasn't in it. And yeah. so they're exploring. Well, what does this look like? Because I don't like this, right? I don't like my mom. You know, maybe their parents were Christians and brought them to church, but then they were abusive at home or whatever the case is. You know, there's this whole new generation of people who grew up. Up and maybe they didn't. Maybe we weren't a good representation of what yeah. Christianity even looks like. So I don't think that this generation is against God. I think this generation is a little bit more intuitive than maybe the previous generation. And so the way that they communicate, the way that they see, the way that they sense, the way that they learn is just different. And so, Absolutely. like you said, we have to approach them with the gospel in a different way. We have to communicate the gospel in a different way. We have to attract their attention. We can't use the methods of the 60s to keep teaching the Bible. We have yeah. to make it come alive. But when the when the when the points click in their mind and they at least have the basic grasp of the overview of scripture. I believe that studying becomes fun to them. And now they're, now they're learning and now they're growing and they're like, wow, Proverbs makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Now. Wow. Look at John, man. It actually, the gospel of John's amazing. Cause I get what's going on here, but if they don't have that context and we don't take the time to learn them before we could teach them, then we're not able to really set them up with the platform to study the Bible. So we could say, Oh, they don't ever grow, you know, read the Bibles anymore. But have we as parents or as youth pastors or pastors in general, or just leaders or in the church, have we taken the time to come alongside this next generation and help them grasp onto the Bible? Be- just because the first method didn't work doesn't mean that it was, you know, the person's fault. Maybe your method isn't good enough. Maybe we need to find new methods. The Bible Project has been one way I've been able to yeah. reach so many people in who wouldn't have they wouldn't have read a five hundred page book if I gave it to them, you know. But but they're gonna they're gonna study the Bible now that it makes sense to them. So. I couldn't agree with more with you when you say, "Hey, we got to take we got to take the opportunity to actually learn, you know, this next generation because they learn different. They're just yeah, different. They're absolutely. different. You know what I mean? And I'm like in the middle. I'm like in the middle of millennial and Gen Z. I'm like kind of in the middle. So like, yeah. I I know that old school. You work hard and you know mentality. Like it's just different. And then I'm like, I see this new generation and they're just, they don't speak that language. They and don't. So, and so when they hear it, they're like, I don't get it. Like, you look really old to me <laughs> right now. Like, yeah. you don't, like, this doesn't make sense to me. Um, so I love it, man. Well, bro, 
Man, every time I have a good conversation, it gets we go over. So that's this time <laughs> right now, man. We're approaching our time, bro. But man, I've I've loved our conversation, but I don't want to end without giving you a moment. Um, I know God has been speaking to you in, in probably in some really cool ways during the last few months. Um, with everything that we talked about today and everything, you know, we've discussed about this next generation and coming back to being students of the Bible, what do you want to leave us with? Yeah, I would just say for anyone that's watching, thank you for making it this far. Um, good for you. <laughs> you did uh, it. <laughs> you did it. Um, I would just encourage you to, you know, leave it all on the table. Um, quarantine is, is not about us. When we when we were called to ministry, we were called to equip the church for the works of the ministry. We were called to encourage, to exhort, to course correct, mm-hmm. to correct, to um, promote, to bring down people. And what I want you to know is that in this season, if God has trusted you in a position of leadership, that's because he trusts you to get people through this. Mm-hmm. If you're doubting your, your gift, you don't have to doubt anymore because God was fully aware the day that you took the job in 2017 and you're like, man, in the next five years, I'm going to kill it. God was fully aware of 2020. He knew you were going to go in quarantine. He knew you were going to question everything. And he, he trusted you because he's given you all that you need for the season. I would encourage you not to give up. I would encourage you to probably take a little bit, step back from your phone a little bit. Mm. Don't try to, don't try to recreate what free chapel youth is doing. Don't try to recreate what elevation youth is doing or, or gateway youth or passion city, whoever is the favorite person that brings the depression on your life on a daily basis, you don't have to be them at all Mm. because Mm. you're comparing not just youth ministries, you're comparing local churches. Mm. Be who you're called to be. There is a reason that Paul wrote to Ephesus the way he wrote to Ephesus. There's a reason he wrote to the people in Colossae the way he wrote to them, because every every city needs a different message. Every youth Mm. ministry needs a different leader. And so if you feel out of place and you feel like there's no one like you and you feel like what God is going to do in your ministry is going to be incredibly different, good, because that's what you're supposed to feel like. Mm. Now, if you're feeling that, no, you know exactly what it's supposed to look like and you're going to follow all the systems, I would say you learn to turn ministry into a mimicking competition, not a ministry moment. Mm. And so I want to encourage you, follow Jesus, go back, restore the joy of your salvation, make sure you're praying, pray for your leaders and just give your all this season. I know it's discouraging. I'm discouraged too, but that's why we need Jesus. And so turn Jesus. If you've turned him to a product, turn him into a person again. Pray Mm. again, believe again, read more and watch God use you. So thank you so much for listening. Yeah, I'm with that, man, bro. Love it. Encouraged me right now, man. So bro, uh, Pastor Tyshawn, thank you, bro. I know. Thank uh, you. I know you got a busy schedule. Um, I'm catching you at the end of your day, but thanks for hanging in there, bro. Uh, Thank you, sir. Thanks for spending some time. It's been a blessing to have you on the show. We're going to continue to pray for you and all of the all of our friends at Free Chapel. You guys are killing it, man. Uh, stay focused. Stay stay encouraged. I really do believe that God is going to bring the church out of this pandemic stronger, closer, more focused. But I uh, want to thank you again for your time and look forward to hopefully having you again soon. Yes, sir. Love you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to the Michael Carroll Discipleship Podcast. Make sure to share this episode with your friends and also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at mcarrollnow. Have a great day. Until next time.